Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. It feels good in the house of the Lord today. Thank you for welcoming him in with your worship. He inhabits the praises of his people. Every time we come together and worship the Lord, it's important. It's important that we come as a people and we lift up the name of our God. Something happens when you bless the Lord. Something happens when you give him praise and you lift up your voice and you lift up your hands. You're important in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good, Lord. You're so good, Lord. Oh, you're so good, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for your passionate worship. God is good, and he's worthy of our, of our worship. Thank you, Lord. Well, my name is Robin Thompson, and I am um, here to bring the word of the Lord. I'm married to our senior pastor for over 30 years. Lucky me. I get to be the one married to this wonderful man of God. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. Today, my heart felt heavy, and I'm just crying already. Oh, my heart felt heavy, and I felt the enemy trying to creep in because he never stops, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers of darkness. And in between the first and the second service, I decided I didn't want to do this. It was I was going to, but... <laughs> The enemy had told me that it, it just was not going to be received, that I'd done a horrible job in the first service. But guess what? My daughter, I didn't say anything to her about it at all. She felt, she sensed in the Lord, she came over and she laid her hands on me and she began to pray. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I'm going to tell you, if you feel anointed to pray for someone, you do it. If the Lord moves on you, you do it. You step out and you take courage. Thank you, Lindsay, for being obedient to the Lord this morning. God used you to touch me. Thank you, Lord. So today we're going to talk about the altar. And it's important to me. I feel passionate about it. And I was thinking about why I feel so passionate about the altar. It's just something very common to me that I always come um, at the end of our praise and worship. I mean, at the end of our sermon, and I, I worship at the altar, and I've been doing that for all of my life. And I think that there are so many reasons why I'm passionate about it, but it's a place that's familiar to me, a place where I feel the presence and the strength of the Lord, and he ministers to me. And as a little girl, it was a place that I, I felt the love of God and the peace of God. And whenever I was six, it was at an altar in my children's church classroom that it 
was I encountered a supernatural experience with God and he filled me with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was at the altar at the little church and my parents pastored in Piqua, Ohio, that I grew in my hunger to know God and be useful in his kingdom. The altar was where I went after every sermon and talked to God about what I just heard and surrendered my heart to him again, longing to live out what the preacher had taught from the Bible. It was at the altar at a youth camp that I had a holy encounter with God that I knew he set me apart for ministry service. And it was at a family altar in our home growing up where I knelt every day and learned what it meant to daily lay down my will and follow Jesus. And the Lord reminded me during praise and worship today that it was at an altar whenever I was about 12 years old where I began to feel a spirit of intercession come upon me. And I didn't really know what I was praying for, but my prayers changed. It felt different. And the spirit just began to pray through me. Uh, at about at the age of 12 and I began experiencing a deep feeling of a burden that I, I knew I was connecting with God and that God wanted me to pray for something and I didn't really know what it was and then it was at an altar after I was married and moved to Virginia and I had gone it was our first building in the little 7-eleven on Woodman Road and I was praying in by myself during the day in that room and that familiar spirit came in whenever I was kneeling at the altar at that church and it was the same spirit of intercession that I felt as a 12 year old little girl and the Lord said when you were 12 this is what you were praying for you were praying for this church you were praying for your husband who you didn't know his name. Whenever I was 12, Larry Williamson came to this city to start a church. And when I was 12 and my husband was nearly 16, that's when he gave his life to the Lord. So at an altar, God was moving on me even as a child. I want to tell you today that altars matter and they're important and it doesn't matter how old you are doesn't matter how long you've been in church. Altars are important. Altars are a big deal to me. But you know what? I don't want to just do things out of tradition or habit. So I decided to dig into the scriptures and see what God had to say about the altar. Because, you know, altar calls aren't that common anymore. And I thought, you know, should we still keep doing this at the end of church? Should we keep having altar calls I know I'm passionate about it, but it doesn't seem like everybody else is. So should we keep doing that? And I went to the Lord in prayer, and I opened my Bible, and I began to research what it was about altars. And um, there's a lot. There's a lot in there. So, But we're not going to talk about all of it today. <laughs> Just a little bit. But altars appear throughout the Bible over 400 times. And they have always been significant in the relationship between God and man. And as we study scripture, we find altars as a place of encounters where God meets with us and he changes our life and we want to remember it. it. The Lord met Jacob in a crisis and the next day he built an altar at that place. It was a place of encounter, a place of importance. Altars also are a place of covenant. An altar was built where the covenant was made between the Lord and 
and Abraham, and the land was sealed as a timeless promise to Abraham and his offspring, and it became the Jewish nation. Altars are a place of intercession. When a, the prophet Joel called for intercession by leaders on behalf of the people and their devastated economy and God moved, there are altars where God meets us, we encounter him. There are places of covenant and intercession and places of thanksgiving. Noah built an altar to thank God for keeping his family safe whenever he got off the ark. But the two main reasons for, for an altar in the Bible is that they provide a place of forgiveness and they provide a place of worship. The altar of sacrifice was to atone for sin. It was for forgiveness. And the altar of sacrifice was the first thing that you would see when you entered the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the plan that God gave to Moses after they came out of the land of Egypt. God gave them rules to follow. They had been in bondage. And they didn't really know how to be a successful nation. So God helped them by showing them laws to live by, how to govern themselves, how to stay healthy, what to eat, what not to eat. There's all kinds of laws. But he set, helped, told Moses how to set up the tabernacle plan, which was the way to worship. And the purpose of the tabernacle plan was God wanted to dwell with his people. He wanted to be in the center of the camp. And that's where the tabernacle was. It was in the very center of their camp. This is the tabernacle, and all of the tents were surrounding the tabernacle. It symbolized that God was in the middle of his people. That's where he wants to be, right in the middle of where you are. He wants to dwell with you. But his holiness kept him separated from sinful man. And we could see that in the tabernacle plan where there was a veil, a very thick veil or curtain that separated the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the holiness of God, the presence of God, from the rest of the people. And all the, everything that was in the tabernacle pointed ahead to Jesus Christ that he would one day be the Lamb of God and take away all the sin of the world, and we would no longer be separated from God. But the altar of sacrifice was the first thing you saw, and it was here that regular sacrifices for sin were offered. This place of forgiveness was also known as the brazen altar or the altar of burnt offering. If you're reading in your Bibles and you come across those terms, it's all one and the same. There was the altar of sacrifice. They it had interchangeable um, titles. But the sacrifice that was offered, my first point is it cost you something. A sacrifice cost you something. And in the Bible, it would be an animal that they would lay on the altar and a life was taken. Blood was shed to atone for their sin. And for something to be a sacrifice, it has to have high value. A life has high value. And a sacrifice for me is to place something on the altar that means something significant to me, something that I love, something that cost me a great deal. Um, David said in 1 Chronicles 21.1, I, I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. It's going to cost you something. At the altar of sacrifice, there's a sacrifice. 
But when we come to the altar and we lay down our life, God always actively responds to altar activity. So an altar is important because God actively responds. We see this demonstrated over and over in the Bible. When we read through, we can read the many encounters of altars in the Bible. And when we read the story of Noah and when he got off the ark and he offered a sacrifice to the Lord, we see that God responded to Noah. This is how he responded, Genesis 8, 20 through 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed his burnt offerings, the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. And that's a promise from the Lord. It, it was his response to Noah, to Noah's altar of sacrifice. God goes on in chapter 9 to bless Noah and his family and confirm his covenant with Noah. And the symbol of that covenant, we know today, that is the rainbow. He said, I have placed my rainbow in the clouds, and it is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth that never again with floodwaters will I destroy all life. So God actively responded, and we still see rainbows today, which were, are a symbol and a sign of the covenant that God made with Noah. Noah made a sacrifice, and God actively responded to that. So altars are important, we see in the Bible. God actively responds to them. He also responded to Abraham. The Bible records Abraham building several altars, and one of them is probably the most well-known, the altar that he builds for his son Isaac. When God tests his faith with this request in Genesis 22 and 2, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. See, there it is again, that something that you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. How does Abraham respond to that in full surrender? He says yes, so the next morning he gets up, he chops wood for the fire, and he binds it up, and he begins climbing the mountain. And this journey takes three days. Abraham has three days to think about what God is asking of him and what's going to happen whenever he gets to that altar. Wouldn't that be hard? All the way up there, I'd be crying every step. All the way up there, he's, he's got, am I going to back out? He's got to think about this. Is he still going to do it? He gets to the spot. He builds the altar. He ties up his son Isaac, and he lays him on the altar, and God responds. He sends an angel to stop Abraham from killing his son. Genesis 22, 13 through 18, the Bible says, Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. 
To this day, people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. Woo! I like that part. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. What if Abraham wouldn't have said yes and gone to that altar of sacrifice? But he did say yes, and God moved, and God kept his covenant, and that's why we have the nation of Israel today. Altars are important. At Elijah's altar, God responded to him too, and he responded with a fire that consumed the sacrifice and showed his power and authority. I want to stand here today with the authority that Elijah had and say to the enemy, my God is on my side. He will fight for me. He will prove to my enemies that the Lord stands with me. And no weapon formed against me will prosper. And all those that rise up against me shall fall. And when Elijah built the altar or rebuilt the altar at Mount Carmel, this single event caused ripples to come through the nations. According to 1 Kings 18.39, fire came down and all the prophets of Baal were killed and the holy altar of God was honored. In this story, Elijah challenges the people. He opens with this. How much longer will you guys waver? You're, you're like the culture of this, of this world. It's kind of getting a hold of y'all. You don't know if God is God or if Baal is God. Who are you standing for? You're, you're like flopping around between two opinions here. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people just stared at him. They didn't answer a word. They just were completely silent. He said, okay, then here's what we're going to do. You 450 prophets of Baal, we're going to see if that's the true God. The God who answers by fire is the true God. So you guys do your thing and I'm going to do my thing. Can you imagine how alone Elijah felt? Here was 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah was standing there as the lone prophet. I know there have been times in my life where I've felt that. Same way, all the prophets of God have been killed, and I'm the only one left. It wasn't true, but Elijah, that day he was standing alone. So the prophets of Baal, he placed one of the bulls on the altar, and from the morning until noon, they danced and hobbled around the altar, and they're shouting at Baal, oh, Baal, answers, answers. There was no response. So Elijah says, hey, guys, maybe you got to holler a little louder. He's egging them on. He's mocking them a bit. So they start doing it louder, and they're cutting themselves, and they're carrying on, and they're, they're just having a time frenzying themselves up. And, and he said, I, I don't think he's hearing you a little louder. They scream a little louder. And they do that until the evening time. Man, they were probably exhausted. 
So now it's Elijah's turn, and he repairs the altar of the Lord. He digs a trench around it. He places the bull on it. He says, I want you guys to fill four jugs of water and pour it over the offering in the wood. So here they come with four jars of water, and they do it. And he says, good job. Do it again. So they go, and they do it again. He says, thank you. Now one last time. Do it one more time. They do it the third time. There was so much water, it soaked the sacrifice, it soaked the wood, and it filled up the trench that was around the altar of sacrifice. And we're going to read from the Bible what happened next in 1 Kings 18, 36 through 40. At the usual time for offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. Oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven. It burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. They took them all and they killed them there. God showed up and he showed out when Elijah had sacrificed on the altar. The altar of sacrifice, it's important. God will send his fire down. He won't leave you out there hanging. He responded to Elijah. And the altar of sacrifice brings you into covenant, into covenant relationship. That's what happened with Noah. That's what happened with Abraham. And that's what happens with us. We can enter a covenant relationship. I want you to remember the first time you encountered God, when you fell down at an altar of repentance and said, Lord, I understand that you are God. Jesus, you died for me. I want you to be the Lord of my life. When you did that, you entered a covenant with God, a covenant relationship. In Psalms chapter 50 and verse 5, it says, Bring my faithful people to me, those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. The altar of sacrifice is where we encounter God. It's where we have a, a, a deep supernatural experience with him. It's where he responds to us. It's where he brings us into covenant with him. And it's where the plague is stopped. The altar of sacrifice, King David, he had made a mistake and he had numbered the people and that was sinful because no one was supposed to number anything unless it belonged to them. And he numbered the nation of Israel and Israel did not belong to David, Israel belonged to God. Therefore, the only time a king was supposed to command a census was when God told the king to do it. David stepped out and he decided he was going to take this census. And as, as a result of his sin, a plague came upon the people of Israel. 
And so as people are dying, David asked God, please, God, just let your anger fall on me and my family, but not on these people. They didn't have anything to do with me taking this census. And so as, as a result, um, an angel goes to David and he says, go build an altar of sacrifice at the threshing floor of Arona. And when David, he goes down there, he meets Arona and he says, Arona, can I purchase this threshing floor from you? I need to make a sacrifice before the Lord. I want this plague to stop. And Arona says, you don't have to buy it. I'm going to give it to you. You can have it, and you can, I'll give you the, the bull, the, the oxen for it. I'll give you the wood. It's all yours. And this is how David responds. First Chronicles 21, 24 through 27. But King David replied to Arona, no, I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. So David gave Aruna, Arona 600 pieces of gold in payment for the threshing floor. David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And when David prayed, the Lord answered him by sending fire from heaven to burn up the offering on the altar. Then the Lord spoke to the angel, and the angel put his sword back into its sheath, and the plague was stopped. God responded and stopped the plague. He stopped destruction from their camp. If you've allowed sin into your life and you feel like your consequences have brought destruction upon you, get to an altar. Get to an altar of repentance. Sacrifice to the Lord your life, your commitment, your consecration, and the plague will stop. At an altar, remember when we talked about Elijah? Guess what else happened at that altar? The, it ended a drought. At that altar, something happened more than just God licking up the fire and the false prophets being killed. It started something else. See, they were in the middle of a three-year drought when God said, you know what? You've sacrificed this altar. I've shown myself strong. I'm going to end the drought. After Elijah sacrificed at Mount Carmel and God answered by fire, then the rain came. Elijah, all that happened, and then he says, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. It's getting ready to pour. It's getting ready to come down. God's getting ready to open the heavens. A downpour is coming. In Jesus' name, if you feel that you're, you've been suffering drought, spiritual drought, financial drought, whatever it is, an altar of sacrifice can end your drought. God moves in responsive altars. So throughout the history of the nation of Israel, they've come to the tabernacle or the temple where there's two altars, the altar of sacrifice in the outer court and the altar of incense in the holy place. At the first altar, that altar of sacrifice, all the negative things and problems are dealt with, the atonement for our sin, and at that second altar, incense is offered continually. It rises before the Lord day and night as a symbol of our prayers offered up before him. At the altar of incense, it's a symbol of our worship and prayer. 
Only the priest could offer this at the altar of incense. They, they were the only ones that could go into the holy place where the altar of incense was. A priest would refill the incense on the altar of incense in the morning and then also in the evening so that there would be a continually a sweet-smelling smoke that came up day and night, and this fragrant odor would rise above the veil or the thick curtain that separated the holy place where the altar of incense was from the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant sat, which was a symbol of the holiness of God and where God's presence was. But breezes would would carry that smoke, would go up and over the curtain and would fill the room where the Ark of the Covenant was. And it would, breezes might carry that outside into the outer court, into the tabernacle where the people were offering sacrifices. And when they smelled the smoke, it reminded them that their prayers were constantly being carried to God. I want us to get the significance of that sacrifice and what happened because it signifies Jesus Christ. Once a year, a high priest was allowed to go into the most holy place behind the curtain where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, he would take blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. But when Jesus died on the cross, the earth shook and that thick veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the very holiest of place, it was torn apart. And now we can come boldly into the presence of God without a priest, without a mediator. I can come into the presence of my holy God and I can bow at his throne. I can kneel before him and tell him myself my petitions and my prayer request and pour out my love for him. Let's read Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Woo! Hallelujah. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God 
as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sin that they had committed under the first covenant. Hallelujah. An altar. God, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, sacrificed his life so that the veil could be rent because an altar makes room for God. It's a place where I can go and worship and offer my praise that smells so sweet to him. It's where he always wanted to be with his people. The holy God did not want to be separated from us. He wants to dwell with us and in us. He wants to be in the very center of your life. And that's why an altar of incense was necessary to offer up continually this offering of praise and worship to him. But when the veil was rent, it opened all of heaven for us that we could come before the Lord. And at the altar, I remember my sins are forgiven and that I can be in his presence, that it's by his blood that I've been made justified, that I've been redeemed, that I've been made holy. Thank you, Jesus. The songs we were singing today. Now my sin is dead and gone. And I sing hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. At the altar, an altar is important. It's all through the Bible. Altars are all through the Bible. Decisions are made at altars. Decisions are, am I going to follow Jesus? Or am I going to follow the culture of this world and the God of this world? Decisions are made daily at the altar. Today I die daily. Today, God, I get up and I say, you are my God. I choose you again today, God. I make an altar afresh today, God. You're my Lord. I will be a living sacrifice. Prayer is my incense before the Lord. In Psalms 141 and 2, it says, Accept my prayer as incense offered to you in my upraised hands as an evening offering. So when we come into this place and we raise our hands, we're not just weirdos who are just wanting to wave our hands around. The sacrifice of my praise, every hand raised, Every hand raised is offering to God our life. It's a sweet-smelling savor. It's a fragrance that he loves. It's an incense that's being offered to him. And he says, oh, that smells so good. Let me come close to my people. Let me respond to the altar of sacrifice. Let me bless them. Let me remind them of the covenant. Let me stop the drought. Let me stop the the plague. Let me bless them. It is my privilege to come before God. So what do I sacrifice today? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy 
sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I want to be that living sacrifice, don't you? And so my question again, do we need altars today? Are altars relevant today? Do they matter today? Are they important in a life of a Christian? I think they are. Why don't you stand with me? Team, if you'll come and help me. I am to be a living sacrifice, and very often a living sacrifice tries to crawl off the altar because it's alive. Every day I have to say, oh, again, I'm going to get up on that altar. I'm going to surrender again. I'm going to offer up my life again. I'm going to honor the blood of Jesus and what he's done for me and offer my worship as incense before him. And I want to tell you, we think of an altar up here. We call this an altar, and it is. But you can make an altar in your car. You can make an altar in your home. You can make an altar at your workplace. Wherever you are, there can be an altar. Because you are the living sacrifice. So anywhere I am, I can make an altar. And it's the position of my heart that matters. We can kneel. We can stand, we can walk as in our hearts we're making an altar to the Lord. Do we have to come to the altar at the end of every church service? No, we don't. We don't have to do that. You're not going to hell if you don't come to the altar every single time. But my question is, not do I have to, but why wouldn't I want to? Why wouldn't I want to come here and think about just take a moment after I've been in his presence, after I've heard his word go forth, why wouldn't my heart long to come and dedicate myself to him again? I long for the times when I would run to the altar. I'd be the first one there and the last one to leave. Because my little heart was bleeding and panting after God. Because I wanted to be used of Him and I wanted His glory to shine in my life. I wanted to give Him space to work. I wanted Him to respond. So today we say, God, You are our God. You have offered yourself, Lord. We will come to the altar. If you're overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, come to the altar. If you just don't know what you're supposed to do about a family matter, come to the altar. If you're ashamed of the sin that's still in your life, come to the altar. So today, I'm 
just going to open the altar. And if you want to come, he's going to meet you here. Come to the altar and meet the Lord if you want. Make an altar in your home. But an altar is important. An altar is where God moves, where he meets his people, where he makes covenants, where encounters are happened, where changes take place, where the fire of God consumes the ugly and the broken, where the fire of God breaks down my will and I surrender to him, where he is seen and his glory is seen and all the people of the earth can feel the presence and the power of God through your life. An altar matters. It makes a difference. Thank you, Jesus.
Let's do it. Let's give him that praise right now. Come on. Christ our King. All praise to you. All praise to you. All praise to you, Lord. I worship you. I magnify you, God. 